Welcome to the September 9th edition of the Fantasyland Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shorten. On this episode, we're going to be looking at the Game 7 departures from the first round and then look at some players who have had stellar performances in the playoffs and how that will make people reach for them next year. So in other words, we're going to be talking some overhyped players. But first, the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz, they played a fantastic series and were led beautifully by Donovan Mitchell. I spoke about him on the last podcast because he's been purely brilliant. 36 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, 4.7 threes and a steal per game on 53% shooting from the field and 97% at the line. There isn't too much more that he could have done to get this side across the line. This year, his ADP was about the 32-33 mark, and next year, I fully expect his ADP will be better than that. I'm thinking mid-20s in most leagues. Some people will obviously reach early. Some people might leave him late. I would probably take him in the mid-20s. He's he's young, he doesn't get injured, and he won't hurt your team in any categories. He also has the ability to have some absolute monster games as well, which is something that is rarer outside of the top 10. Outside of Mitchell, the supporting cast is okay. You know, Clarkson did Clarkson things, good points, that's it. Jingles did Jingles things, assists, a couple of threes, looked super slow while doing it, but that's his MO. And Gobert, he was both surprising and disappointing. His 16.9 points were really nice. They needed that to help Mitchell, uh, but his 52% from the line was woeful. He added 1.4 blocks here, so again, down on his year, but hopefully that's not something that we're going to see moving forward. Next season for him, it is a little tricky. This season, he he went top 20 in most leagues and finished just outside of the top 15, but that is too rich for me. I... I get that he's a monster in field goals, in boards, in blocks, but that's about it. Personally, I'll be waiting until the mid-rounds to grab someone like a Robinson, a Turner, or Lopez. They're less consistent, and yeah, they don't necessarily help you as much across the board, but with Gobert, you're really just getting a block specialist, and I can't justify spending a second-round pick on someone whenever I'll be able to get similar stats from a player you know, four, five, six picks later. Two other players I won't be buying is Bogdanovich and Mike Conley. Bogdanovich, he's a point specialist and yes, he will deliver, but his floor and his ceiling are pretty much the same. He'll go in the 80-90 range and at that point, to be honest, I'd probably take a flyer on somebody else and hope that it pays off. He's going to get you, you know, 20 points a game, he's going to get you a couple of threes, he's going to get you a couple of boards. His shooting percentages are okay, but that's really it. He isn't somebody who's going to contribute across the board, and for a one-category type guy that he is, I'll try on somebody else. Mike Conley, I also won't be touching. I completely sound like a Mike Conley hater. I promise you I'm not. I love the guy. I've had him in my team for years, and he's always delivered. But next season, he's going to be 33 years old. And if he was still with the Grizzlies and still with you know, the Marcus Soul side, then maybe. But on this Utah side, his productivity is going to be far too low. He's too reliant on usage, which he won't have. And 
to be honest, I see him as a 14, 15 points guy, five assists on a good night sort of guy. Look, if he's there after 100, sure, go for it, take it. But up until that point, I think I'm going to let somebody else waste a pick on him. And our last game of the first round of the playoffs saw another Game 7 clash with the Oklahoma City Thunder bowing out to the Houston Rockets. OKC was solid. They put on a full team effort and they only really had two standout performances. I thought that Luke Dort was really terrific guarding James Harden. If fouls were a category in fantasy, he would have been a first rounder, averaging 4.2. And that's about it. Uh, it. It just showed the tough defense that he played, and it was really good to see somebody who was in the G League at the start of the year, wasn't even in the rotation for the first game of the playoffs, was starting and playing heavy minutes against arguably one of the best players in the league and one of the best, if not the best, one-on-one player in the league. Chris Paul, he was the the other one that was uh, a real standout for OKC. He's just he's a class act. He's Really been able to show what he can do. There was criticism on him at the start of the year, but he turned it around. He's 21.3 points, 7.4 rebounds, 5.3 assists, 2.3 triples, and 1.6 deals on 49% shooting from the field. It was vintage CP3. You could see that he was trying to bring other players into the game, but his supporting cast, they just couldn't get it done. Gallinari, Gilgis Alexander, and Schroeder, they shot a combined 41% from the field and couldn't get it done in the big moments. Out of those three, I think the biggest disappointment would probably be SGA. I thought that he should have been able to stand up a bit more. I get he's a young player, but I think that when push came to shove, they really did need that other star. Next year, I think it's going to be really tough for OKC. I had Shane a few of the leagues this year and absolutely loved him. Yeah, I wish he would assist more, but he rebounds really well for a guard. He shot at close to 50% from the, the field throughout the year, solid from the line, a couple of threes, really good defender. And I think he'll be a solid pick in the 60, 70 range next year. Chris Paul, look, he's still under contract. There are murmurs of him going to Milwaukee, which I don't know if it will happen. I do expect OKC to probably keep him for one more year. But from a fantasy side, I just I don't trust him to stay healthy. He went in the early 60s for most leagues this year. And I would say that's probably his ceiling as he continues to hand the reins over to SGA and a really young team at OKC. Gallo... He's out of contract, so I don't expect them to re-sign him. I don't know really where he's going to end up, but I'm not really interested either way. He's injury-prone, and he can't really shoot too well from the field. He gets a couple of threes. He stretches the floor, gets a couple of boards, dynamite from the line. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Give me more players that have got defensive stats. Schroeder, Adams, they've both got a year left on their contract, so I think that they will be shopped around. I do think that OKC are... Maybe one year off a full rebuild. I think that if they can get some good pieces for Schroeder, Adams, CP3 this year, then they'll take it. But if they can't, then they're not going to offload them for the sake of it. But if Schroeder and Adams do stick around, I think it'll be more of the same. Uh, For Schroeder, it'll be points, assists, and a bad field goal. And for Adams, it'll be rebounds, 10-ish points a game, and a really, really, really bad 
detrimental free throw percentage while both looking menacing and friendly running up and down the court. The one player I, I really do like, and it's going to sound like a little bit of a hot take, but I do like Darius Baisley. Gallo, as I said, I expect him to move out of the side, and I believe Robertson's also out of contract, not that he's overly relevant, and that will leave them really, really thin at the four. And I think Baisley will slot into that stretch position really nicely. He played well in Orlando, had per 36 averages of 16 points, 10 rebounds, and three triples. I think those numbers are probably sustainable in a full-time role. I think if OKC are moving to the fast style of play and the stretch style of play that the rest of the league is, I think he really fits that game well. As I said, if Gallo moves and they don't bring somebody in, I'll probably look at Baisley with the last round and my last pick. And at that stage, it's super, super low risk and it's purely upside. If he pulls off, great. You've got yourself a, a nice pick, somebody that you might even be able to trade up for. If he doesn't drop him, there'll be a player on the waiver that you can grab. All right, now onto some overhyped players. So the qualifiers for this is people who completely balled out in Orlando and as a result will be overdrafted next year. First name on my list is someone who came close to the bubble MVP. I would have liked to have seen him win it, but TJ Warren. He played awesome in Orlando, and I think that'll make a lot of people take him early next year. Personally, I won't be. Indiana will be starting the year with a healthy Sabonis, a healthy Lamb, and a healthy Oladipo, and coupled with the fact that TJ Warren is on a team-friendly $12 million deal next year, 27 years old, I think that he's prime for some trade bait. If not, assuming that he stays, I still don't think there's enough mouths to feed for him to hit the lofty bubble heights. I see him being a 18 to 20-point guy with decent percentages, but that's about it. He's probably going to go at about the 100 mark as a ADP. But at that point, I will be taking some players who have a higher upside, players who are more likely to explode in a new role in a team, explode on a new team, and take their role to another level. Second name I've got, Karis Levert. I mean, he played really well. He carried a... Brooklyn side to a courageous first round sweep and I thought he played really well throughout it all. He he actually had a really decent season in the end barring the injuries that he had but next year is going to be completely different. Kyrie and Durant, they'll both be as healthy as their bodies will let them and I think that they're going to eat up all of the usage that they can find. I love Karras but I, I see him falling into a Kyle Kuzma type role. Someone who can play off the bench, have a couple of really big games whenever one of the stars are out. But overall, being about a 15-point-a-game sort of guy, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, maybe a steal. But I think I'll be steering clear because I think he's going to be heavily overdrafted. Goran Dragic, I think he's somebody who is absolutely primed for falling off a cliff. He's had a great year in Miami, and although they did hold him back, for the playoffs to make sure that he was healthy so that they could go on this run that they're on right now. Next year, I'm all in on Tyler Hero. So it makes sense that I'm all out on Goran Dragic. I see their roles flipping. I see Dragic probably staying in the starting unit, but I see 
Hero playing starters minutes and Dragic dropping down to a 22-23 minutes a game sort of role. Mike Conley, I've bashed him enough, so I'm going to make this on brief. Steer clear of him unless one of two things happen. Jordan Clarkson gets traded or he's outside the top 100. It's the last time I mentioned Mike Conley for three pods. I promise that. I'm done with him. No more. Michael Porter Jr. So I think this guy, out of all the names that I've got, he's going to be drafted the highest. The hype train on him is big and it's picking up with every single game he plays. And to be honest, he's somebody that I'd want to draft purely so that I can watch him play. He's an excitement machine and I probably will draft him, but only if he drops to about 80. I think people start reaching for him about 50 and I think that's 20 picks too early for me. At 50, you get some really solid contributors and the hype on Michael Porter Jr. will still be well and truly alive from these playoffs. I think he'll have a really good year in real life. I think he'll have a really good career as well, but I'm not as sold on his fantasy game right now. Yes, he's averaging 20 points a game, 10 rebounds, 2.8 triples and 49 from the field. That's about it. Doesn't do much on the defensive side, doesn't assist, and he turns the ball over a fair amount for a big guy. On his field goal, I'm not completely sold on the 49%. That's the tipping point for me. I think depending on if he plays more three or if he plays more four will depend how many threes he takes and therefore what his field goal is going to be like. He's only shooting at just above 40% from deep and if he takes more shots, then I think he will struggle to increase his field goal. And finally, I'm going to pair two people up because they have been tied together all year and that is Bogdan Bogdanovich and Buddy Heald. What an absolute mess the Sacramento Kings are. It's an absolute shame because they were so good the year before, but Bogdan and Buddy, they're completely time-sharing this role, and I cannot think of a time when they both played equally as well in the same game. So I think something needs to change in that situation. Bogdan is a free agent at the end of this year, so do they move him? I don't know. Do they try and offload the huge contract that Buddy Hill demanded last year? I don't know. What I do know is that if the situation doesn't change, I won't be taking either of them. If one of them leaves, I'll certainly draft the other. The Kings have a fantasy-friendly team and what should be a really high possession offense. But where I take them, I don't know. It really depends on the player. Somewhere around the 60 70 mark, but again... If it's healed, probably take him a little higher than Bogdan, only if the situation changes. All right, guys, that's all I've got for you. As of next week, I'm going to be starting my series of deep dives and looking at team projections for next year. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, send them through to fantasylandbasketball at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Mark Fantasyland. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. (laughs) 